Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast and these are our stories. Okay, welcome everybody. This is a first attempt at a video podcast for the fee-for-service dentist that Drew Bynes started. And I'm gonna be manning the helm for a a few short weeks, uh, possibly a little longer. And we're gonna do our best to bring great content. So uh, my first guest uh, I reached out to is a classmate of mine and a fellow Buffalo University Dental School graduate, Dr. Sandy Nadelstein. Sandy is a, a, originally from Manhasset, Long Island. He went to college at Brandeis University. And then he joined us crazies at the University of Buffalo, came to upstate New York, and now has a wonderful, beautiful, successful practice in Martha's Vineyard. Not too many people can say that. So I'm gonna hopefully get some more information out of him. Uh, On a side note, before I just bring Sandy to say something, I asked Sandy was one of my favorite people from our graduating class. He was hysterical. He always kept an even keel. He never got too crazy. He had the right perspective from day one. And you know how classes, you have gunners, and then you have uh, people that you're not sure have a pulse, and then you have other people. And Sandy was right there, and we didn't interact a lot early, but we got to know each other through the four years, and it's been a privilege. So. Welcome, Sandy Nadelstein. How are you? Hey, great. Thanks. It's kind of cool we're doing this, isn't it? It is. It is. Who would have thought we were doing this, right? I know. It's crazy times. In fact, we dropped off the map, the two of us, for a really long time because uh, we reconnected at the 30th uh, reunion. That was the first time I think I was back. It was the first time I was back in 30 years, which is crazy. I can't believe it. And it was such a great thing. I'm so glad I went. And especially after this pandemic thing, I think it's been really helpful for all of us to feel like we're not alone and that we can, you know, talk to one another. I think it's been really fantastic, especially for me. I'm, I'm in a solo practice. So for me, I'm really, I mean, when they say you're out on an island, I literally am out on an island, you know? <laughs> the definition, the yeah. definition of an island dentist in a yeah. small island. <laughs> Good point. So, Sandy, just tell me a little bit um, about how everything, just tell me a little bit about your journey. Let's, let's start there. Let's start with, um, okay. let's start yeah. at Buffalo. Um, All right. So, uh, you know, got out of Buffalo. In fact, actually, originally, I didn't think I even really wanted to do uh, a residency or, in, you know, any kind of, you know, AGD or anything like that. I said, I want to get out of school and I want to just get in there and start doing stuff. Um, and uh, that was my original going in position. And then actually one of our classmates said something to me that really changed my mind around about that. He said, if you go into a, a private practice, you're gonna learn from that one dentist and you're gonna just learn the way he does things. And of course, when you get out of dental school, you know, you, you're, you're, you have like the basic tools. Like you know how to use, like if you were a carpenter, like you know how to use a saw, you know how to use like a, a hammer, you know how to use a nail, you know how to, you know, but that doesn't mean you can build a house. You know, you, you start off slow. So, 
you start off building a deck and then you continue on, right? And then you build a, a you know, you redo a room or something like that. But you don't start off building the Empire State Building. So, you know, it, you know, and he said, well, if you're in a residency program, you're going to have whole bunches of mentors. You're going to learn from a whole bunch of other people, not just one, the guy that you, that you uh, started with. So, and I got to thinking about that. And of course, I was late to the game, as I was a lot in dental school. Um, and uh, so uh, I thought, geez, maybe I'm missing the boat here. Maybe I ought to really consider doing uh, a, you know, a residency. Well, by that time, a lot of people had already had their residencies all lined up. And I was you know, like now kind of scrambling at the end, thinking that maybe I should yep. do this. And I applied to, to an AGD program at Boston University. And uh, it was, well, you know, it changed my life. I mean, I can't say it any other way. It changed my life. Um, first of all, I was really glad that I did an AGD because for what I really wanted to do later on in my dental career, um, you know, I know a lot of people, you know, when they do the residency programs, you wind up working in a hospital because it's hospital-based. And you learn a lot of medicine, which is great. Um, and you wind up doing, for a lot of people, but not all of them, you know, you wind up seeing people who are, um, unable to afford dentistry and you're doing a lot of like extractions and dentures and, medically and a compromised. Lot of, um, what's that medically compromised people. Yeah. And, yeah. and a lot of stuff that you might not actually see in a true, mm -hmm. you know, private practice setting. Um, and so I went up doing the AGD, which is of course school-based and it was phenomenal because it was like this kind of transition between being completely out on your own um, and, you know, still being in school. So you're a doctor already, but you have mentors there that can come in and help you um, if you have some questions about stuff. And um, like I had an assistant in my AGD. Um, and so it was great. And also all the, th the three guys that I did my AGD with, it was a small program, just four of us. Um, they all went to Boston University. So I was the, the outsider, okay. um, but they were awesome. They were great guys, funny, fun, um, smart, um, really great guys. It was a awesome, awesome group. And, um, and so that year, you know, I got more confident and, um, and I felt like I could ask questions, whatever I needed to, but then if I didn't need any help, then I could just can treat patients like you would in general practice. So that's the first thing I did. That was a one year program, right? One year program. That's okay. right. Right. And, um, and you got to do whatever you wanted to do. So you could decide you want to do endo or you could do, um, you could do, you could do anything you want. Endo, you could do, um, crowns, fillings, anything that you wanted to do, you were allowed to do. And they had all the support team there to help you out. So it was kind of really good that way. It was for me. Um, I think it was really, really good. It, it gave me this kind of like sort of runway into going to, into a private practice. So I, I was really glad I did it. And I also learned a lot because we, every single week we had, um, we had, um, uh, we would sit in on some perio lectures, we would sit on ortho lectures, we'd sit on endo lectures, um, and we could go to all those. Um, so that was really good too. Um, they, they made it so that you were still learning a lot. I mean, I would say probably a couple of hours a week, we were probably doing some lecture, which was great, you know? So you weren't just doing clinical, but I'd say it was 90% clinical and maybe 10%, maybe not even 10%. Uh, didactic so it was good how long how long was that program in existence I, I for some reason I thought it was fairly new because you went Boston University correct I, I it was the second it was the second year I was a second okay. class okay. and it went until just last year was the last year that they did it because BU um, wow. refurbished their whole entire school and they decided to get rid of the AGD program which is funny to me because it's I, the only profitable uh, you know <laughs> Um, part of the school pretty much so yeah. um, but they just got rid of it so um, yeah it was, it was great it was great in fact I'm still in touch with the guy who was the the, uh, the head of that program now with, with the structure because you mentioned you went with uh, Boston University dental grads right so mm -hmm. I know that dentistry is supposed to be common and universal but I'm sure their teachings were different how did what they brought to the table change you and how did what you brought to the table change them well, um, I would say one of the things that was dramatically different about BU compared to Buffalo is 
I thought Buffalo was, um, at least when we went there, which is now 31 years ago, so no disrespect to the way that it is now, just saying the way it was. Mm-hmm. You know, it was run a little bit like, um, well, I would say to people, the heads of the departments when we were there were all ex-Marines, and they kind of treated us like we were in the Marines. And if you didn't, you, you know, you said, yes, so nurser, and, uh, and you did what they said, and if you didn't like it, They'd bounce you out of there and they'd have somebody to put you in there in two seconds. Mm-hmm. I went to BU and it was very different. It was a much more like the students were much more um, respected, I would say. Um, and they were much more, um, they, were, they were kinder. I'd say they were just kinder to their students, I think. But the difference, one thing that was different was. The future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patients. If you need help starting your membership plan, or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team. It was a big accomplishment at BU if you finished your dental degree in four years. Hardly anybody finished your dental degree in four years. Most of them went four and a half or five years because they just couldn't finish their requirements. They just didn't. And that was one thing that was great about Buffalo. I'll never you know, uh, I'll never underestimate that, which is that um, we had tons of patients. We never had a problem getting patients. Patients were dying to get into the dental school. Mm -hmm. And at at Boston University, because it was centered in Boston, um, there was three dental schools, Harvard, BU, and Tufts. And so it wasn't as easy getting patients. So they were all struggling. They would actually sometimes pay people to be their patients, you know, or they'd say, I'll do a partial for you for free if you just come in. Um, so, um, you know, that, yeah. was, that was kind of a, a, like an eye-opening experience. But they treated their students uh, more kindly, I think, but the, they weren't pushing them, I can tell you that. Um, and so for that reason, um, I think that a lot of them didn't finish on, you know, within four years or, or we all what, finished, everyone finished in four years. Was their background of training a little different? Like did they do a little more with composites? I know we did a lot of amalgams. Not, well, not at, not at the time. Not at the, no. Don't forget it was early on, you know, composites right. really came in to becoming, you know, way I'd say in the mid to late nineties where mm-hmm. people were starting to routinely do composites posteriorly, or maybe even later than that. Mm-hmm. Um, frankly, I didn't even start doing composites um, posteriorly until after 2000, I'd say. Um, and, um, so no, they were, they were progressive though. Actually, I'll tell you one thing that I remember, they had a CEREC machine that they were testing out in 1990, a CEREC machine in 1990. So, I mean, I saw like the first one of that one kind of being developed. Um, so that was pretty cool. They were very innovative in that way. Very, very innovative. Um, and they were, they liked being, on the, the, the forefront of things. I like that a lot. So in, in looking back, you obviously have very fond memories of the AEGD program. Uh, is there anything, now I'm guessing, because at that time, because I was involved in it initially too, was you had to go in the match program if you wanted to do GPR, and it was highly competitive, and you had to rank your picks, and then they ranked right. you, and then I ended up dropping out because much like what you said, I thought, oh, I'm ready to do this. And I had a hard time with the, with the hospital aspect, not really helping a person build their practice. You know, to me, it was, you're going to build your practice. You might as well start seeing some people start to take good care of them, start to get some referrals and and build your practice that way. The downfall a little bit was who do you work with and how do you learn? I work with two young dentists and I learned a lot from them. I could have learned a lot more if the structure was different, but it's busy and and it's a business and they were paying their bills and, you know, so it wasn't as conducive to learning like an AEGD program. So it sounds like yeah. you kind of got the best of both worlds. So let's let's uh, let's move forward. So now you're finishing up your AEGD program. Are you meeting people? Are these people then potential employers? I mean, how did that next step go for you? So um, BU was very good, like I think most dental schools are, about providing a list of of dentists that were looking for for um, uh, for associates, yeah, like um, a job list yeah. of like I'm, I'm kidding, like hundred pages of it of people all in the you know within the vicinity. Most of them were people who were um, were uh, graduates mm-hmm. of um, 
of, of BU and they put their name in this like listing service that BU had. And the listing service was for only BU alumni and BU students. And um, so I, um, I was like looking through the, uh, the list and, uh, you know, I put out a fair amount of, um, a, a fair amount of, uh, um, you know, of my resumes out. And, um, and somehow, I'm actually not even sure I know 100% I remember anymore as such a long time ago, but um, there was a, a young guy who had a practice in a very nice area uh, um, on Beacon Street in Brookline, which is a very nice area of Boston. Nice area. And yeah. um, he was looking for an associate. Um, and uh, he only needed somebody for three days a week. Um, and I said, okay, sounds, sounds good to me. I really, really wanted to, he was young. He was only about five or six years older than I was. And he had started this practice from scratch. Um, he grew up in that area. So he felt really confident opening up a practice because he knew he, between him and his family members and, and so forth and going to school in, in, in that area, he knew he was going to be able to, you know, call high school friends and so forth and say, hey, I'm opening a practice. So he started this practice from scratch. Um, he also was a very charming guy and he, he was able to, um, he became friendly with one of the nurses at, at Boston university, you know, for the undergrad, um, for the, for, you know, one of the nurses. So like if you were, you know, a, a BU student and you got sick, you went to the infirmary. Well, and you had a toothache, where are you going to go? So Jay was his name. They referred, um, uh, to the office that Jay worked in. So he's getting a lot of people from, from BU also, like every week there'd be a BU student. I mean, BU, I don't know how many undergrads are, like close to 20,000 undergrads. That's yeah, a big school. Undergrads. Yeah. So, you know, somebody's got a toothache or somebody's got a broken tooth. And so he was pulling in a lot from that. So that was my first job. Um, and I actually, um, since I, at the beginning, I was only working three days a week. Um, I also wound up um, staying on at the AGD program and like being a, a you know, a part-time, uh, part-time at the AGD pro, uh, teaching there at the AGD. So that was really good. So that kept me still in a loop with, with, with people. And, um, I still have a lot of contacts at BU just because I was there for my AGD. And then I did, like I said, I taught for about a year and a half, but when I said just like a day a week going in, it was a volunteer position. I didn't make any money at it, but I really liked it. And, um, and so that's how I started off. I started off working at this, this dentist, um, and, over time, he, he really didn't really, I don't think, want to be a dentist. I think he really wanted to be an entrepreneur. That was his kind of goal in life, I think. And so as I came in, he started to pull back. So he was working whatever, say, three days a week, and I was working three days a week. And then he went down to two, and I picked up, went up to four. And eventually, I was working full-time, and he was barely working at all. Mm -hmm. um, and so... Uh, and so, how was that? How was that arrangement? Were you paid? Um, I was paid. Uh, I was paid. Yeah, I was first. I was paid a daily salary, okay, um, which was really low. I mean, I, I can share with you that literally the first two or three years out of dental school, well, let's say the first two years when I was working in his practice, I made like forty three thousand yeah, dollars. Literally forty three thousand dollars. I made thirty. <laughs> okay, and then and six hundred uh, a week. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was making, but you know, you have to compensate, you know, everybody says, you know, when I was a kid, bread was four cents. Yeah. yeah well, that was in 1920, dude. Yeah. You know, so, you know, uh, you know, in relative terms though, that would be maybe like $60,000 in yeah. today's dollars or something. It was pretty low, but you know what I had, you know, when you're a dental student, you have any money. So $60,000, I could live on that. No problem. You know, no problem. Mm -hmm. So you just had you just had a straight salary. Did you have any any commission or any bonuses no, above any? No, so just straight straight salary. Just a paid worker. Okay, that's right. And and, you know what? and it, there's no hygienist in his practice. They had no hygienist, so I did all the the the, the, the cleanings. Okay. Um, and we also had a large at that point. It was around 1990, 1990, 91, Um There was a large um, uh, immigration from the former Soviet Union. So a lot of Russians came and settled in the Boston area. And so, um, and my dental assistant at the time um, was one of those Russian immigrants and she spoke English fairly well. And um, so all the Russians that were coming in, they wanted to go in an office where somebody spoke Russian and my assistant spoke Russian. So we were getting a ton of Russian immigrants. And so I was doing 
you know, everything I wanted to do. I mean, uh, first of all, there were people who came to my practice that are in their 40s and 50s, never had their teeth cleaned ever. I mean, you, you need like an M80 to get the stuff off their, their teeth, you know? Um, so it was like, you know, I mean, but they were so happy um, to be somebody taking care of them. But, um, but you know, I did everything. I mean, it, I did, and, and uh, I wasn't getting a ton of crown and bridge experience. I was getting some, but, you know, the, the, the practice um, was a lot of younger people in it. Um, and a lot of younger people don't need crowns, you know, no, they're or, healthier people. Yeah. They're healthier people. So yeah. there wasn't, it's not like I got no experience, but not that much experience, uh -huh. but I did get experience in getting really good at doing the basics of dentistry, like tons of operative. I mean, I did tons and tons and tons of operative. Nobody sat over me and told me what to do. Um, and also I didn't have, um, there was no production goals or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, like I could take my time doing it. And I would say in dental school, I was probably the slowest dentist ever in the history of dental school. I mean, <laughs> I really was, this is, this is not a joke. This is totally serious. Okay. Now you, they gave us two hour increments to do, to do, yeah. um, and to do operative. My first filling that I did, I'll never forget it. I even remember the guy's name, but I can't say HIPAA, but I remember it was an occlusal on number 12. Okay. Well, let me tell you this. It's really hard to cut a prep with an enamel chisel. So I literally, literally, in the two-hour period, I didn't finish my prep. I didn't finish my prep. I had to temp him. I had to temp him. And have him, I put an IRM in it, had him come back the next visit to finish it. Okay, so an occlusal. So anyway, but I was just saying that it's like, you know, you build up your speed and I didn't have pressure to get stuff done. You know, there are a lot of practices that were like that where, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're, they're making the schedule and you got to get it done. And that wasn't the way this was. It was just like, you know, I had as much time as I needed to do. And I, I was never slacking off and I worked, I worked hard. Um, and uh, I treated the place just like it was my own. Um, and now, as I said, what's that? If you look at it, right, you were being paid a straight salary and you're, if you're comfortable with that salary, right, then you have, no, no pressure, no push to either produce more or collect more or grind more or what have you. Let me ask you this, because you're, you're just kind of getting at it. Was the owner of the practice happy with the numbers? Like, was the practice doing well enough and sustainable with your pace and your, you know, your delivery when he, especially when he's out now? So if you're working it full time. Well, you know, you have to think about the fact that, um, I mean, I really was getting paid very little. Even by those standards, I was getting right. paid very little. So yeah. it wouldn't really, it wasn't really, a, I mean, he couldn't, he was definitely making money. Um, mm -hmm. And could I have produced more? Probably I could. I mean, a faster dentist could have definitely produced more. But he wasn't paying me that much. And he knew that. And I was fine with that too. We were both kind of good with the fact that I wasn't producing a ton of dentistry um, but he also wasn't paying me a lot. So it was kind of fine. And, and eventually the second year we decided to go ahead and we went and we did a percentage of, of collections. Okay. Um, and it's funny because I made the same amount the second year as I would have, it was the same thing. Um, but he also took, um, he took a lot of insurance. Okay. Um, and he took, he took mass health, um, which was whatever Medicaid. Um, yes. as I told you, we had a ton of Russian immigrants, those people, when they first get here, they don't have any money. And they're on the, you know, they're on the public, whatever, dime, I guess. Yeah. And so um, I, I would do, you know, I do quadrant scalings, um, you know, uh, and, and uh, you know, for people who haven't had it done for in 30 years, 40 years or whatever. So, um, you know, the reimbursement wasn't phenomenal, frankly, but, um, mm -hmm. but there was a constant influx of people. Um, because there's tons of people coming in. So my, my schedule, schedule was busy. He didn't have to pay me a lot. And the reimbursement wasn't that much also. So I think it was fine. He was fine. And he was really more interested in getting onto another career that he wanted to do. He was trying mm -hmm. to, this is kind of funny because it relates to now. He was one of the guys who was starting the first hands-free soap dispensers. This was back in 1990. He had a patent on a machine um, that would have hands-free soap dispensing. So you didn't have to touch the thing. And that's what he really wanted to do. And after about two years or so of me working there, um, he came to me and he said he wanted 
he, he said he wants out and he wants to sell the practice to me. And I said, oh, I'm not really sure I'm really ready. He goes, look, you can do whatever you want. You can pay me out over time. I'll give you good terms. It was really the perfect opportunity. It was a beautiful area. Um, and, um, and, you know, I was there. All the patients knew me. So two years. Two years. Right? Yeah. Two years you were there. And at that point, he's moving on and he wants you to buy the practice, right? That's right. That's okay. right. And, uh, and um, I just felt a couple of things that I felt were not for me. For, for, by the way, all the patients now knew me. Mm -hmm. All they all knew me. They barely yeah. ever saw him. They were just seeing me most of the time. In fact, right. his own mother came to see me. His own mother came to see me. Um, yeah. But um, I just didn't feel like it was the. I can't explain it. It was like a, a visceral, a visceral thing that I just thought this doesn't feel exactly right to me. Like this is going to be my home forever. I don't know if it was just maybe too young or just something about it. I can tell you two stories that are kind of funny that make me. That kind of summarized why I didn't think it was the perfect place for me. So one of them was this woman who was seeing Jay, um, and um, she would see him every um, whenever she came in. It was always Monday after work at five o'clock. We our, our our office went up to eight o'clock a lot of times. So she would come in at five o'clock on a Monday. Well, now Jay had been kind of. Um, Jay had been, been kind of weaning himself out now, and now he wasn't working on Monday. So she called, this lady calls and said, hey, I want an appointment to see Jay. And uh, the, the, the um, office manager there um, said, oh, Jay's not uh, working on Mondays anymore, but Dr. Sandy's there, and, um, you know, he's really nice, and you like him. And she goes, no, I only want to see Dr. Jay, and I, I want it to be on a Monday. Um, and she said, well, I'm sorry, I, I, don't, I can't help you, you know. Dr. Sandy has actually been treating Dr. Jay's mother. I mean, he's really good. You're going to like him. Um, and so uh, she said, no. Uh, she said, this is ridiculous. I want to speak to Jay. So Jay calls her back and he says, listen, I'm not working uh, Mondays anymore, but Sandy's really good. I, I was working on Jay, you know. <laughs> she said, if you're not going to see me on Monday, then I'm just going to go to another practice. And Jay said, well, I'm sorry. Then I guess you're going to have to go to another practice. And she left. That story is kind of a, is like just a really interesting thing into you know patients and doctors and their relationship and stuff. Just think about it. This lady, in the end, she only wanted to see Jay. She didn't want to see the person that Jay went to. She didn't want to see the person that Jay's mother went to. She didn't want to see the person that Jay recommended. Mm -hmm. The Jay Trust. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So in the end, she wound up seeing somebody else, somebody that Jay didn't know, and so forth. So this lady left the practice. And that's kind of was a weird thing to me, like that somebody would literally leave the practice and go somewhere else where they don't even know the person, that person either. So I felt like there was no kind of like bond that was made between the dentist and the patient. And, you know, it was a city atmosphere sort of. So mm -hmm. that's, it was, I thought things were somewhat transactional you know uh -huh. very transactional like you're fixing good my work. tooth that's the end and i kind of like a trade it, it, like a trade and i just mm -hmm. didn't really that wasn't me you know i think it works really great for other people because also you know there's no there's there's no hard feelings or whatever i don't know i just it wasn't for me but that that was a really kind of interesting story and i'll tell you one other funny thing that that's that another story that i'll never forget is at the end, after I did, would do a crown on somebody, and I still do this to this day, um, after I do a crown, that night I call the patient, and I say, hey, how are you doing? Um, how's the bite feel? And so forth, right? And so I, I did a, a, a crown on this young woman. She was like in her 30s. And um, I called her up and I said, hey, whatever her name was, I said, uh, hey, this is Dr. Sandy. I'm just calling to see how you're doing. And this was her response. Why, did you do something wrong? And I was like, no, I just called to see how you're feeling. You know, like a city attitude is a little bit more like, why are you doing something nice for me? That, that doesn't sound right. What's the game here, you know? And uh, that was just weird. It made me kind of feel like, geez, why am I bothering to call people if their attitude about it is going to be like they think that I'm calling because I made a mistake or something?
something like that. Anyway, I, of course, I didn't like that to me, but it's just kind of a weird thing. It wasn't, it was, it was very, very, very transactional. And, and that just wasn't for me. And so I kind of passed on the practice. I just didn't, I also didn't think the practice had a lot of potential too. It was a saturated area where, you know, a lot of the patients, I think I told you were taking mass health and, and insurance and stuff like that. And so uh, I just didn't think it was, I just didn't feel like it was the right time. And Jay said, look, if you don't buy it, I'm going to have to put the, the practice up on the, on the market. And I said, I totally understand. And he did. And one month later it was sold. And now it was like out in the cold, kind of. Jay was so nice though. He actually made the practice that bought, um, that bought his practice. He said, you have to take Sandy on for at least six months. And so they did. And I kind of worked in their office, but they told me day one that they, they're not hiring me on. They said, we, we bought this practice to help infuse our practice and we're, we want the patients for us. And so I had like a six month, you know, sort of reprieve from the governor, you know? <laughs> um, well, but there's a cushion there, right? You weren't just cast out because otherwise you'd have been cut cold as soon as the closing goodbye, you know? That's just right. Like, just like talking about transactional. That's, yep. that's the definition of transactional. But Jay was really nice. I mean, to, to make that part of the deal, he said, I won't sell unless you keep Sandy for, for six months. Cause I had really, you know, like I told you, I worked the place like it was mine. Yeah. Um, and he appreciated that. And we're still friends to this day, by the way. Um, so let me ask you this, if I'm going to go back for a second, right? So now in the second year, you're getting paid as a, as a, as you're getting paid with commission. So now I would imagine you're starting to pay closer attention to what money's coming in, what money's going out, uh, what you're billing, what you're writing off with these different insurance plans. So during the course of that year, and, and then with these patient experiences that you're related, you're starting to formulate kind of in your mind, okay, what type of practice do I see myself, right? What type of clientele is going to work for me? That kind of thing. Because you talked about this area not being, you know, set for you. Um, so I just want to ask you about the business part. When you started to do more of and started to see more and you're paying more attention to it, did it, did it frighten you when you saw a lot of write-offs? Did, did all of a sudden it, it, it take on a different context? Did things change a little bit? for you? I'd say minorly, to be honest okay. with you. Um, only because I think I was still kind of naive and I was still really focusing so much more on dentistry and not the business of dentistry because I didn't own the practice. So I didn't really have to pay attention to the numbers. Um, certainly the first year that I was, you know, um, that I was just an associate, I didn't have to pay attention and I was getting paid a flat salary. I didn't have to pay attention to anything. And then the second year when I went on to commission, um, I started to, you know, see those things a little bit. But to be honest with you, I was like, I kind of was a young, happy, go lucky kind of guy. I, money has never, still to this day, is not something that really drives me that much. Um, and so I think I was just kind of, you know, happy enough, I guess, and uh, happy that I was going in and doing dentistry. And I liked dentistry. I uh, still like dentistry, which, by the way, does tie into insurance, I, I, I will tell you um, later. But, um, but uh, you know, I still, I, I liked dentistry. And I did see that, you know, wow, you know, they, like I would see sometimes like you do a cleaning, you know, a scaling, you know, a, a deep scaling and curatage, and you were getting paid like $38 for a quadrant. And, you know, I was like, wow, that's a lot of work. You'd, so you, you'd be trying to get two quadrants or three quadrants done in a, in a, in, a, in an hour and a half or something like that. So I started to, to start to understand it a little bit, but I still didn't own the practice. And so I kind of was still, I'd say a little blindly naive, to be honest. Okay. So now the practice closes, you have a six month window. Talk about what you did in that six months and then how you moved um, on. Okay. And then what, well, I mean, obviously, you've given us a real good insight into what your thinking was, right, and how these experiences have obviously formulated some of the things that you do now, and you've said it yourself, uh, I still do this now, and, and I still think of this now, uh, and, and I, I kind of much the same way, but talk about now moving on. So um, I was kind of at this crossroads. I knew that my days were numbered at the new practice, um, and... Um, and so I decided, uh, you know what? I hate the cold. 
Um, I do. I've always hated the cold. I hate the cold. Um, I'm at, I'm, I'm not married. Um, and I'm at this crossroads in my life. Um, I always love warm weather. I'm going to do Florida boards. So now I was out about three years. Yeah, I was out for, I think three years out, out or four years out of college, uh, out of dental school, I mean. And, um, and I decided I was going to take the Florida boards. So it's such a pain in the neck, such a pain in the neck. So I went down, um, took the Florida boards, which that's a story in and of itself, by the way. Um, but I took the Florida boards and I passed them. Thank God. Um, I still have my Florida license. I've still never practiced one day and I still send in my money every two years. Um, that, that license, in fact, my goal one day is to do one sealant in Florida, just one sealant and say that sealant cost me like $35,000 to do that sealant. <laughs> All the money I've sent, I've, I think it's like $400 every two years or whatever. I've had it for now for like say 25 years or something like that. It, you know, it's like crazy money that I've spent. Uh, not to mention you have to, I took a prep course when I went down there because you don't have patience. It's, it's a really mm -hmm. hard exam to do from out of state because you have to get yep. patience. And so, um, but I took that and I was all set and ready to go. And I'm going to move to Florida. What's that? That's interrupt you, but the out of state failure rate, if I'm not mistaken, was about 75%. So no way. Grotesque, grotesquely high number. So you being the self-proclaimed worst dentist in Buffalo, yeah, you did. You did pretty well for yourself. So I did. I did. All right. <laughs> uh, one day I'd love to tell you that story. Like during the exam, what, what the, the guy tried to unnerve me and I was just like, I wasn't having it, you know, but, um, so I took, I took the exam, I passed it and now I was like, okay, I'm going to move to Florida. Um, and I was getting myself ready and, um, and, uh, to move. I had, I had, a, I went down, I met with a dentist who had a couple practices in the West Palm area and he was looking for somebody to split time between there and Del Rey. And I was looking really forward to it. I was like, wow, this is going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. Um, and, um, and I had, um, called, uh, uh I got a U-Haul ready. I mean, I was ready to go Red, I got a, I got an apartment lined up, everything ready to go. And wow. I'll, I'll never forget it was a Sunday and um, the phone rings and it's a dentist that I know who was classmates with the, the dentist that I work for um, first okay. out. And his name is Dave. And Dave calls me and he goes, hey, listen, um, I know you're planning to move to Florida and everything. Um, he said, but um, I heard about this, this opportunity. And he said, of all the dentists I've ever met, you'd be the guy. He said, if I line up 30 dentists in the room, you'd be the guy I'd pick to go to this place. I said, okay, where is it? And he goes, Martha's Vineyard. And I was like, sign me up. Uh, he said, it's a really interesting practice. Um, and I'll tell you more about it. But the, the, the sad part of it is there's a dentist there, young guy, 46 years old, wife and a, and a one-year-old. Uh, he just um, was diagnosed with, with leukemia. And he's undergoing, he found out on a Friday, he was calling me Sunday, three days later, the guy just went into the, into the hospital to start to go, undergo chemotherapy. He said, can you go down and check it out? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm all over it. So I drove down from Boston, I took the ferry over, um, and um, the, the, the dentist who, who uh, had leukemia, his name was Bob, Bob, of course, wasn't there. He was in the hospital getting treatment. And I walked into a practice. I didn't know a soul. I didn't know one person on Martha's Vineyard. I didn't know any of the people in his practice. I'd never met Bob. Um, and Bob's, one of Bob's really good, he had two best friends. One was an optometrist who had the office built downstairs. And the other one was a guy who owned the hotel almost right across the street. So they said, listen, you can stay at the hotel for free while you're working here. So I had a place to stay. So that was good. Um, and the guy below me, um, the optometrist, um, you know, he came to meet me and said, Hey, I know you, you, thanks so much for coming and helping out and everything. I said, Oh, I'm happy to come. So um, anyway, you know, I walk in there and his practice philosophy is totally different than anything I've ever learned. And I'm sure that you probably do. So he was like, you know, almost like the definition of a, uh, you know, 
a small time country doctor, you know, small town country doctor, I meant to say, small time, small town country doctor. His philosophy of dentistry, and this is the way I, I view it, was he would try to um, do the barest minimum that you could do for somebody that might work, that might hold them together. He like really did that. He was tons of amalgam, five surface amalgams. He would do an endo, um, put a post in it, and then just build it up with composite. He would, um, he would, um, he would um, do acrylic partials. He, and, and his patients, by the way, adored him. Mm-hmm. They loved him. They loved him. And um, I was this new guy coming in, and they didn't know me at all. I was young, of course. Um, and the first thing that I liked, oh, by the way, they, this, just to back up a little bit, his practice, he had one x-ray machine in his operatory. He had one hygienist, in, in she didn't have a, a, um, an x-ray machine in, in, her, um, in her room. So this is how he did things. He would have patient A come in at nine o'clock, numb patient A, take all the stuff out of the room, have patient B come in at 9.15, numb patient B, then take patient B, put him back into the waiting room, and by that time, patient A was now numb, and he'd bring that person in, and that's the way he did his, his practice, his running, like, you know, out of one chair, and yep. very quick appointments, and all the appointments, he hardly, he, he, it was like he never did crown and bridge. That's not true. But he, if he could patch it with a filling, that would be his going in position, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of his patients really liked that because it was cheap. It was way cheaper. Also, they got used to, right, quick in, quick out, and repair, right? And totally. if you think about it, I guarantee his appointment book was that old appointment book that had four lines, 9 o'clock, yes. 9.15, exactly. 9.30, 9.40. So they put, they put a name on each line, right? That's so they right. had four patients between 9 and 10, and that's how he did it. I mean, that's it, was, a, it was very, very right? – well, I wasn't used to that. Plus, I was also not used to sort of comprehensive treatment. You know, my training at – Buffalo, I think, was really good in that way. I'll never knock the education that I got at Buffalo. I will say that the way it was taught, I didn't like, but but I but the education itself was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and and at BU, the same thing. It was I was taught the right way care. to do things. Yeah. I'm sorry, comprehensive care. Yeah. yeah. So and, so you're so, you're in this practice, right? Yep. And and right now you're just you're just learning how how is it that you can work. Oh my God! The, there's the, two rooms. There's a hygiene room and there's a doctor. I, I I just I just did what they had on the schedule and I did it to the best of my ability. Um, but after about um, after about um, less than a month, um, so the dentist uh, whose practice with date uh, um, Bob had um, his best friend was a prosthodontist, mm-hmm. um, and the prosthodontist is the one who got in touch with me, kind of. Um, through this other friend. So mm-hmm. the prosthodontist became my mentor. And the prosthodontist, you know, I called him up after two or three weeks. I said, like, you know, I mean, this is like not the way I'm used to doing things. Um, and I, I, I mean, I'm not used to trying to patch up things in, in 20 minutes. I, I just not used to doing that. And the prosthodontist said, listen, Bob is not going to be around right now. You have to just do what you think is right. You have carte blanche to do whatever you want. And however you think things should get run. And so I said, okay, I appreciate that. And I said, and also, like the equipment that's there is just antiquated. I mean, some of it I just can't, it's not working. And he said, well, let's see if we can go out and, and get you a chair. So they went and got me a brand new, bottom of the line, but brand new chair. And they um, said I could do, make the schedule the way that I thought it should be. Um, and so that freed me up a little bit that I didn't have to do this like rotating people in and out out of one chair so that was good this but was that two months in maybe maybe Three months two in. Months okay that's uh, by good. the way he took every single insurance under the under the sun every single one there was nobody he would deny who had insurance on by martha's way, vineyard yeah well everybody thinks Martha's. can i just say martha's vineyard is a big misconception the people who live on martha's vineyard especially when i would then martha's vineyard was the poorest county in all of massachusetts 
The people who lived on Martha's Vineyard, the people who live here year round, they're just regular people. They're not rich. The people who are rich, they only stay here for three months, two, three months, and then they leave. So this gotcha. is the, gotcha. the year round population is not rich people. That's a big misconception. Everybody thinks, oh, Martha's Vineyard, you're just lifestyles are rich and famous. It's not. It's, it's really you're seeing regular people, firemen, teachers, lawyers. Um, I have somebody who works at the town dump, who's my patient, been my patient for 20 years. Um, so it's just a, a literally a complete, you know, um, uh, sort of um, strata of our whole entire society. So I didn't come into this practice. It was like, you know, oh, sure, Martha's Vineyard, you know, um, let's start doing veneers. It wasn't like that at all. I just told you that the practice he had was a crown, I mean, amalgam built-up practice. Just so what's the, what first thing, what's the first thing you did when you got some control over your appointment book? What's the first okay, thing you did? The first thing that I did was, okay, one thing that I was really careful about is like, you can't just come in there and change everything overnight. You just can't do that. Um, because if you do, you're gonna, people are gonna leave in droves and I didn't want that to happen. Plus, I felt like the people were the nicest people. They were so nice. Like the, every person came in and thanked me for being there. Thank me for helping Bob out. Thank you, thank you. I mean, that's just so nice. That's just so nice. You come in and you feel like you're appreciated. And I will say this to everybody, anybody who's listening to this. The one thing that I think, because most dentists are employers, I'll say the one thing that I learned, I've known this for a long time, but I'll just kind of share it is, people don't care about money as much as you might think. Employees I'm talking about. It's not that they don't care about it at all. I'm not saying that. I'm saying people, the, probably the number one thing that people care about is being appreciated, being appreciated. And, um, and so uh, the reason I'm mentioning that is because, you know, I walked in every day and people were so thankful that I was there. And gosh, that's such a nice way to go in every day. I got to, can I tell you one funny story? Please do. So I told you about this, how the way they, they, you know, how they did it. They numbed up a patient yeah. and then they put him out in the waiting room. Okay. So one day, this is like my first month I'm here. This guy comes in, he needs to have, um, uh, a, um, a first molar extracted. It's really loose. It's really, it's no question. It needs to come out. Um, so I was like class three mobility. I mean, it's really bad. So, um, and he's there to have it out. So he comes in, I anesthetize him, right? Um, and I, this is my first month there. So I didn't have, you know, that's the way they did it. So okay. I numbed them up. I put them into the waiting room and now the next patient came in and I numbed that person up. And, um, you know, when I put that person in, you know, into the waiting room and I go out to the waiting room to get the first guy out that I had numbed. And I said, okay, Joe, you're, you're all set. Come on in. And he goes, uh, I think I'm all set doc. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, and he shows me the tooth in his hand. He pulled it out in the waiting room. I, I, had, a, I, had, waiting room. I had a guess because he's not he's probably like, oh, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> he pulled it out in the waiting room. And I looked at him and I was like, okay, um, do you need anything? Uh, a lot of job anything? application, you're hired. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are you doing Thursday? Um, so anyway, um, so I said, listen, uh, I really don't know how to bill you for that. So let's just say no charge. How about that? He's like, well, you know, you, you gave me the Novocaine. I was like, you know what? That's a story I'm going to remember forever. You're good. <laughs> um, so like that kind of thing, like it was just interesting and strange a little bit for sure. But it's just that the, the people were just nice people. They were just mm -hmm. nice people. And, and so that, that was one thing. You asked me, by the way, I'll get to that. You asked me like, um, what's the things I changed. So, um, so by that time I now had been like, I had to educate people because people didn't know what a crown was. They had never been offered to do a crown on a tooth. So like, I'll never forget this. I had this guy come in, a new guy. This is my first two or three months that I was there. A guy came in, he had a broken first molar. And he was like, um, he said, uh, listen, um, my tooth broke again. Um, can you, can you just patch it up for me? And I said, sure, let me take a look. And I look in his chart and in his chart, 
I look and the last like 12 or 13 years, this tooth has been patched probably five times in the last 13 years. Um, and I was like, listen, you know, um, Joe, if you want, I mean, I, I will patch it and just do what you did before. I said, but just to let you know, I mean, you had a patch five times in 13 years. If you want, I can fix this thing for you and you're not going to be having to come back in here. You, you just need a crown on the tooth. That's what you need. And he's like, well, what's that? And so I literally spent the whole entire time showing what a crown is, how it works, what it does. I've been taking models out and showing them like that. And, um, and I said, and I said, so that's what you really need to do. I mean, rather, I mean, you spent almost that amount of money now in the last five times you fixed it and you're still not fixed. Why don't we just fix it and then it'll be fixed and you'll be good. Um, and, uh, it was more money, of course, a lot more money. Um, and, uh, and he, and he said, okay. He said, well, you know, I, I keep having to come in here. I mean, I'm losing time from work. He was a carpenter, you know? And uh, so, yeah, he was, let's just fix it. So that's what I did. I educated people. I educated people to what dentistry was. There was a lady who came in in the hygiene room and the, the hygienist came and said, hey, can you come over? Mrs. Um, Jones um, has um, a partial that's loose again. Can you just tighten it? Um, I'm sorry, as a bridge that's loose, can you tighten it? So I come in there and I see it's an, it's a she lady has upper and lower acrylic partials. Um, and, uh, I said, okay, I said, I can tighten it for you. No problem. I said, you know, are you happy with this? She goes, nah, I don't really love them. They move around a lot, but you know, what else is there? And I was like, why don't you come back tonight at five o'clock? And I did this all the time. I didn't have any kids. Um, and, uh, you know, and I said, why don't you come back and I will show you what that is. No charge. Just come back and at five 30 tonight and I'll show you what you, what your options are. And I talked to her about implants. I talked to her about, about bridges. Um, and we wound up doing bridges on this lady. So I just spent a lot of time educating people because they didn't know what these things were and was available to them. And actually, uh, one of the things that we're obligated to do as dentists is we're, we're, we have to present the options to people um, and their consequences. Aren't, is that what we're supposed to do? So I just did that. My first year, I educated people what they could have and didn't have to be a patch up and why a patch isn't so great. So did that answer that question? It did. It did. I, I, uh, you know, I'm just, just getting into because it's, it's such a change of metamorphosis in the schedule. So, Thanks for listening to the fee-for-service dentist podcast. If you would like to share your fee-for-service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our fee-for-service dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.